I've been thinking through this, particularly in this text, that God has been very gracious to Safe Haven in the fact that He's protected us from sentimentalism. And I've never really thought about that, but He really has been super gracious to us in that um, phrases like, we've always done it this way, or we've always had that are definitely not words that you ever hear around Safe Haven Church. Um, and, and we know how to be exiles. I mean, we know how to be nomads, and, and we know how to just kind of, well, we just kind of make it work. <laughs> um, and in that, God's protected us from this, this again, this sentimentalism. And so, what you may look at and, and see as flying by the seat of your pants as a character flaw, frankly, at Safe Haven, we kind of feel like it's a spiritual gift. <laughs> um, maybe we should add it, you know, to Galatians 5, something like that. Um, have church in two living rooms, no problem. Um, we ran out of theater, no problem. Hey, why don't you take the church and send one down north in a school and one up north in a school and have two different schools? Well, why not? (laughs) Um, Borrow a Methodist church. No problem. And praise the Lord for Christ Harbor (laughs) and their grace to us. Um, Go to a building where there is a 75% chance you're going to end up in a ditch (laughs) if it rains and... And slip on down in that bad boy. Um, absolutely. I mean, as, as a matter of fact, shoot, at SHC, I've noticed since we've been here in this building that you guys have been driving your trucks a little more. Because you want to show off the power of your winch. <laughs> you can drag somebody out. Because Safe Haven has never really had stuff, we don't really know what it's like to have stuff. That's a grace. Because God's guarded our hearts from sentimentalism and worship of stuff. Praise the Lord. Here's my point in saying all that. Because He's guarded our hearts from sentimentalism, it's been pretty easy for our church to just fix our eyes resolutely on Christ and Christ alone. Because we haven't had all the other distractions. So it's, been, so it's been pretty easy to go, it's just Jesus. We have nothing else to look at. Um, so with that in mind, today's message is going to serve, and this will pop up on the screen. It's going to serve as a historical church reminder that the gathered body can indeed get distracted. And lose that resolute focus on Jesus. It's also going to serve as just a a personal reminder. So corporate and individual. That we too are not immune from forgetting about fixing our eyes resolutely on Jesus because we start looking at stuff if we're not really careful. And that considering the superiority of Jesus is the only thing in life that will truly produce real, lasting, practical joy. So if you find yourself joyless, 
maybe it's because you've stopped considering Christ. Your eyes have got fixed on something else. You're, you're hoping in that thing or that person for your joy. And they just never will be that. And the stuff will never be that as well. That's where the text is going to head us today. Because the temptation to bail on Christ, that's real, man. The temptation to bail is, is very real. As a matter of fact, contextually for these first century Christians, they have lost bodily Jesus... They've lost almost all of the apostles at this point. They've lost their families. They've lost their friends. They've lost that Christian momentum that's been driving through the first century. And most likely, if this text was written when most scholars think it was, they just lost the temple itself. They've lost everything. So everything that they've sentimentalized is gone. And so their temptation is to bail. That's where we're at contextually. So their gathered identity, I guess we could say, is taking a blow. And as a matter of fact, their personal identity, because of that, is now in jeopardy. Their eyes are beginning to wonder, should I bail on all of this? So at the crossroads of, is my joy really just in Christ? Or am I now going to find my joy in something or someone else? What's next to bring me joy? Does that sound familiar to anybody else in this room? This text is for all of us, not just first century Christians. The writer is going to write to joyless exiles longing for a new source of joy. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that today we'll all consider Christ. God, for the believer in this room, that that we won't get stuck in the muck and mire of just Hebrews 3 contextualism and just kind of look at these guys and go, yeah, sure, that's, of course, they're losing their joy. They've lost all this stuff. Sure, they need to consider Christ. God, I pray that we'll do that because anytime your word is preached, the voice of God is heard. So God, I do pray that we we see the context and it, and it, it awakens our soul. But I do pray that we'll also see this on a very personal level in 2023. So God, for the believer and unbeliever alike who maybe is looking for joy elsewhere, trying to find real joy in a spouse, or real joy in um, uh, athletics, or real joy in money, or real joy in uh, community. Or just, I just pray, God, that, that we'll see that the only, the exclusive sense of real joy that can ever come is, is through considering the infinite superiority of Christ and Christ alone. Jesus, would you, by your grace, make yourself magnificent among us. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll be seated. Be seated. You might have thought just then, Am I, are we ever going to sit today? <laughs> yes, we're, we, we'll sit today. Um, 
Well, the writers told us several things about Jesus already. If, if you've been journeying with us, we have gone through the book of Hebrews. We took a three-week break where we looked at relationships. And um, that was great, and, and we had three different people come in and walk us through that. But we're done with that, and um, that's in the past. We're back into the book of Hebrews now. Uh, we journey straight through books of the Bible, if you're a guest with us, and so we've made it to Hebrews chapter 3. But already, as a reminder and a recap, chapters 1 and 2, well, but basically we're on the screen above. If, at Safe Haven, feel free to snap pictures. Uh, we should have put the number on the bottom. Um, our numbers are on the website. You can email us if you have questions. But, um, so, so this is just kind of what we've read over. Would you look over this with me to kind of get our minds back into the set of Hebrews? We've heard this from the writer. The writer says that Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. He's the only one who can purify sins. He's the radiance of God's glory. What a great phrase. Um, He is the exact imprint of God's nature. So if you have ever wondered, what does God look like? Look at Jesus. Consider Jesus. He's the exact imprint of His nature. Um, He destroys the power of death. He upholds the universe by His power. And He's more superior to angels. All of that, and we've just made it through two chapters. That's it. There's so much more. And so this writer is going to continue to unpack this more and more and more. Consider Jesus, how excellent He is, how great He is. And the point's going to be over and over. So when you feel like bailing, bailing, that's what you do with hay, right? When you feel like bailing, are those, is that the same word? Bailing, bailing. Okay. Rabbits, coffee this morning. Okay. Um, when you feel like jumping ship, there we go. When you feel like jumping ship spiritually, when, when your joy is tempted to align with something else or someone else, consider Jesus again. Focus your eyes back on Him. When, when, you, when everything within you goes, hey, turn your eyes from Christ because there's something greater, there's something else that will give you that sense of joy, turn back. Consider Him again. That's the answer that's going to be the prescription that the writer is going to write to us to take for that disease that can slip into our hearts. And in this moment, He's going to say, Consider Jesus as He's infinitely superior now to Moses. All of that list that we had before, He's going to say, Consider Him because of these things. He's the heir, the radiance of the glory of God, all these things. And now He's going to say, Consider Him because He's greater than Moses. And that's going to, we're going to kind of flesh that out. But, but why emphasize Moses at a lower level foundational um, groundworking um, uh, thesis? Okay, why, why is he going to say that? He's already said he's greater than angels. Why is he going to say Moses? Take your minds back to first century Jew. They've just left Judaism where Moses is the man. Nobody is greater than Moses. And so, if they're bailing on Jesus, who is the most likely person they're going to jump back to worshiping? Moses. They're going to go right back to the law. They're going to go right back to, okay, I can find my fulfillment in the law. I'll just, I'm abandoning Jesus, I'll jump right back to Moses. And this is why he's going to go with Moses. Because, if I go back to Moses, if I leave Christianity and go back to Moses, I can at least get my friends back. Remember, they've they've lost all of their friends because they've abandoned Judaism and gone to Christianity. So if I go back, I can at least get my friends back. I can at least get my family back. 
Because a lot of them have lost their family, right? A lot of them have lost their jobs. A lot of them have lost their homes. A lot of them have lost anything societally that's of value to them. They've lost it all. And so they're looking at Christ and, and all of this stuff is unfurling. It's getting hard. Persecution's coming. And they go, man, if I just go back to Moses, at least I can find joy in my family and my friends. And maybe I can even hop back into a synagogue. And at least there's some joy there. So this is why he's going to address Moses, I think, at at least a foundational level. So with that said, y'all ready, church? Ready to jump back into Hebrews? Hebrews 3. May the Word of God speak to us. Lord, please speak out of your text. Let's look at it together. It'll be on the screen. We'll flesh through it together. So it begins with, therefore. Anytime the word, therefore, is written, we should always ask, what is it? What is it there for? What is it there for? So uh, this will highlight on the screen. Go ahead and highlight that. Because all that Christ is, because of everything that we've just listed, because he's the heir, the radiance, all this kind of stuff, because of all that, therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. We'll pause right there. So it begins by here by going, hey, listen, don't forget who you are and don't forget where you came from. Therefore, Because of of all that Jesus is, don't forget who you are and don't forget where you came from. I'm going to place two verses on the screen to kind of unpack what he's saying here. He's, he's, He's launching into this is why you should consider Christ. This is why he's great. This is why he's excellent. This is why nobody compares to him. Number one, because if you're a believer, consider who you are. You're holy. Don't bail on Jesus... Because the only reason you'll ever attain holy status is because of Jesus. Why would you bail on the one that is your sole source of righteousness? Um, The verse will pop on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, say it aloud with me, we might become the righteousness of God. Why would you bail on the only one that can make you righteous? So if you're in this room and you go, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm losing my joy. I, maybe I should try something else or find it. Who else is going to make you righteous? Who else is going to make you holy? Who else is going to fulfill this standard? And believer, find your joy in this. I want to say this to you. And maybe this may be the only thing you need to hear today. If you're a believer in this room, you are Holy. Raise your hand if you feel holy. No one. In Christ, brother and sister, because He takes His righteousness, implants it in us, in God's eyes, you are holy. Perfect. Righteous. Because of Christ, He looks down and He sees Troy Nicholson. And me looking up, I go, God, I can give you seven quadrillion. Again, we're just inventing numbers here. I can give you seven quadrillion reasons I am not holy. God, you, like sometimes somebody will come up to me and go, you know, hey, man, you know, I got this, I got this struggle in my life, and this is, this is that thing. And, man, if I could just really conquer this one thing, then, you know, I would feel good, and I could, I could find my joy, and blah, blah, blah. And I love looking at that person and going, great, I, I'm so glad to hear you have one thing. Because I have a quadrillion things. And it's only because of Christ that the Father looks down and I scream up, God, I've got a quadrillion things that make me unworthy. And the Father looks down and goes, yeah, but you've got one thing that makes you worthy. 
Jesus. Why would you bail on that one? Consider Christ. Therefore, brothers, holy brothers, who share in a heavenly calling. This is another reason we don't bail on Christ. Not only does He make us righteous, but He alone is the one who calls us to be righteous. John chapter 6 is a fascinating passage of Scripture. Nobody ever preaches on this. Like Nobody ever just chooses to preach on this text. Which is why you should teach exegetically at your church. And that way you, have, you can't skip it. John chapter, it's a fascinating passage. Jesus says this. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. So if you have found yourself in Christ... The joy is, you didn't find yourself in Christ. Christ found you by His Spirit. And it goes on to say this, verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that who would betray Him. Verse 65. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. He says, the reason that I told you no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father is because there are some who do not believe. The point being, if you are believing, it's because he drew you. It's because he called you. It's because He awakened your heart unto Him. If you're in this room and you're believing, the reason you can have joy is because the Father looked down and said, Hey, come to me. I'm drawing you. Praise the Lord. It's not your work. You didn't do it. So why would we have our joy in Him? Because He said, listen, I'm going to awaken your heart. And here's the sad thing. A lot of people will take this verse and take it all kind of crazy places and go... What on earth does that have to say? Well, here's what it has to say. It has to say what it has to say. We're not going to rip it out of the Scriptures because we don't like it. So the point is not to go, Ugh! Ah! What do I do about those who don't believe? The point is to go, Praise the Lord, I'm believing! Praise the Lord, He opened my eyes and my heart and He called me with a heavenly calling. Your joy should rest there. Praise the Lord. And so in this text, he goes, Therefore, because of all these things, holy brothers, He made you holy. He took His righteousness, put it in your bank account. You who share in the heavenly calling, you have been drawn with a heavenly call that you did not deserve and you could not earn. Praise the Lord. Because of that, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And so in this, consider means you simply dwell on, turn to, saturate yourself with, be enamored by Jesus. And church, listen, there is no other source of joy than being enamored, saturated, smothered like a taco with Jesus. I love Taco Bell. That has nothing to do with anything I'm going to say. But now I'm thinking about tacos. Yeah, maybe it does. Consider the fact that in Christ, you've been called, you've been drawn. Consider Him, the one who puts you together, the one who smothers you with cheesy love. And I'm stuck, okay? Consider Him. 
made you beautiful. If you've lost your joy, maybe it's because you're not considering the one who made you perfect. Consider Jesus. There's a euphoric high that seems to be a tidal wave that kind of ebbs and flows when there are waves of revival joy. Okay? We have not addressed the Asbury Awakening as a church. And some of you guys have asked me why we have not. And perhaps this is a good time and a good place to do so. Here we go. Number one, I I will say four things about the Asbury movement. First, we could not be happier for these college campuses that are experiencing spiritual movements of God. It is not just going on at Asbury. It's happening at Samford and all other places. As a church, we could not be more happy with that. Praise the Lord that He's moving in power in in, in different places. Second, we long and we pray that God will do the exact same right here in this room and in the four walls of your living room. More importantly... We pray that it'll occur in the four. We pray that it'll happen up there with those kids. It'll happen up there with those kids. It'll happen up over there with those kids. It'll happen back here with these kids. There's kids everywhere. <laughs> we pray that, man, the Lord pours out His movement like that all over the place. Okay, so we pray that. Number three, we have no doubt that in these movements, God is by His grace changing hearts through the gospel. No doubt. Absolutely, he's changing hearts in these movements, okay? And then number four, does anybody else feel like there's a but coming? (laughs) There's not a but. I promise there's no but. Um, But number four, time will reveal who was enamored by emotionalism and who was enamored by Jesus. That's also equally true. And we got to be okay with saying that out loud. Because anytime there's a movement of God in power, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a movement going on, man. God's doing some crazy stuff. And anytime there's a movement, there are people who jump in just because of emotionalism. And it's it's the emotional wave. As a matter of fact, that John 6 passage that we just read, if I would have continued it, as soon as Jesus said what He said, He looked at the disciples and He said, a lot of people are leaving me. Do you all want to leave me too? There are people who jump into emotionalism... And then there are people who jump into considering Jesus. And out of John 6, we saw that split occur. Jesus said, listen, you can't come unless you're drawn. The flesh awakens your heart. And many of the people said, that is, that is nutty, Jesus. Why would you say that? And Jesus says, you can leave me. If, you, if that's too hard for you, you can leave me. And the Bible says they did. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, do you all want to leave me too? And the twelve said... Where would we go? You alone, Jesus, have the words of life. They weren't considering emotionalism. They were considering Christ and His sufficiency. You're our only source of joy, even if it gets our heads cut off. You are our joy, Jesus. And the rest said, man, we just kind of like the band. (laughs) We were kind of around when the miracles were. I mean, Jesus, when you whipped them fish, and Jesus, how did you take the fish? Are you David Blaine, Jesus? (laughs) 
How did you do that? We're here for the giddy stuff. So I think we're going to be okay with saying that. And then I want to say this. Watch the screen. Whether or not you in this room are considering Jesus is most evident by how much joy you have for the ordinary means of grace. Because in the ordinary means of grace, that's when we're considering Jesus most. Now, with that said, promoted manifestations cannot be our metric of gospel joy. They can't. Because promoted manifestations come and go. If you've been in a church or a movement where you've seen the power of God move mightily, raise your hand. If you've seen that, I've seen it. Raise your hand. You've seen that? Did it last forever? It can't. So promoted manifestations, that that can't be our metric for whether we're considered, because they just kind of come and they go. And also, private manifestations cannot be our metric for gospel joy. Have you ever been in your living room or your car or something like that, and the Lord just, like, He came on you, and it was like a whole, it was like revival in your living room. You ever been there? Raise your hand. Okay, But that also can't be our metric for joy, because when that doesn't occur, we'll hop on the treadmill of, Jesus, did you forget about me? I'm not getting the special thing anymore. Where did you go, Jesus? We've got to be careful about public manifestations and private manifestations. We'll hit that treadmill of, well, I must have done something wrong for Jesus to not love me in this giddy way. Sometimes He gives you giddy love. And sometimes He gives you mundane love. Where do you find yourself in the mundane is a greater metric of whether you're considering Jesus as your sole source of sufficiency or not. That's where true love's found. I don't always feel like I love Julie Beth. I know, like, you're like, can you say that about your wife? <laughs> Everybody that's a spouse in here goes, oh yeah, I feel that too, brother. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't always feel like it, but the greatest expression of my love is not whether I love her on our anniversary, which was yesterday, so we spent it at the ballpark, and then helping somebody feed their dogs. (laughs) The The greatest expression of my love for her, her is am I with her when it's just mundane? Our metric for gospel love or loving Jesus can't be in all those things. It's a gospel marathon. Our metric must be, am I finding joy in the moment-by-moment surrender on Tuesday at 1.37 as opposed to Sunday at 10.45 when Elisa breaks that song off like I love it? What about Tuesday? That's where our joy is found. Are you considering Christ consistently? We've got to go on, but I, I don't want to lose this moment because I feel like the Lord wants to do something through this text. Ligon Duncan, if you don't know who Ligon Duncan is, just Google him. Ligon Duncan says this, Considering Jesus, actually his point is revivalism. Uh, I, I hesitate to use the word revivalism, if you noticed. Um, just because I don't think you can plan a revival. I mean... <laughs> You know, and in our culture, we have we're going to have May the second through whatever we're going to have revival. You might have a guest speaker. I don't know that you can schedule. Hey Jesus, you are you booked on May second? 
I don't, like, I don't think it works that way. Um, but talking about awakenings, Ligon Duncan says this, awakenings are considering Jesus, which is what I think revival is. Um, looks like a church or a people that stopped running after new fads or inventions, for one thing. Pastors and leaders can step off the treadmill of chasing new solutions. And just get back to the ordinary means of grace. Are you finding joy in the ordinary means of grace? What are those? Do you consider Jesus through cultivating your love for expository Bible teaching? I'm not talking about right now. Like, Do you cherish the Word where you want to dig through it? That will bring about revival, awakening. You consider Jesus through engaging in daily worship. That will keep you from bailing. What about delighting in absolute truth of Scripture? That will keep you from bailing. Preaching the gospel to yourself at all times will keep you from bailing. <laughs> what Tucker just walked through. We get the sense of mission of, I need to go to Turkey to tell somebody that they're inadequate and they need Jesus. And what I would say to you is, no, what you need to do is look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're inadequate and you need Jesus. We preach the gospel all the time, most often to ourselves. What about striving to live a godly life? That'll keep you from bailing. Developing a gospel-centered family structure in your home, that'll keep you from bailing. Actively engaging in evangelism at the gym or the ballpark or whatever. Discipleship with faith family. Biblical church membership. Uh, Considering Christ in weekly communion. (laughs) Obedience and believers' baptism. Giving, journaling, Sabbathing, fellowshipping, self-led repentance. We repent often and early for our good. Consistent and intentional prayer, participation in missions to the nations, joyful celebration of God's sovereignty in all things. All of these things are ordinary means of God's grace. Do you love Jesus when they strike it just right? Play the hymn Turn to him number 663 and you go, that's my jam. <laughs> yes. Or in the ordinary means of grace. That's where the joy of the Lord comes. You don't have to travel to Asbury to experience God's awakening. You don't have to pilgrimage there to find Jesus. Perhaps... You just need to hit your knees right where you are. If you're willing to hop in a car and drive to Asbury to find awakening, but not willing to hit your knees with your spouse in your living room, that's probably your problem. You don't have to hear a stirring sermon to find revival or awakening. Perhaps you just need to open God's Word, wipe the dust off of it, and dig into it for yourself and let Him speak. You don't have to be surrounded by fearless worshipers to experience awakening. That moment, I, we're going to Shane and Shane. Me and Andrew are going to Shane and Shane. A couple other people are going to Shane and Shane. And I'm telling you, I cannot wait to go hear Shane and Shane. And a lot of people are like, who on earth is Shane and Shane? <laughs> we're going to hear him in Birmingham. And, and I expect in that moment that it's going to be awesome. But you don't have to go to those things to find spiritual awakening. Perhaps... You just need to be the only one who's a fearless worshiper surrounding you that just lets it go. We get that notion of, I've got to be in revival. The only way I can experience revival is if everybody in the room is feeling it like I am. 
Well, maybe you just need to be fearless in worship regardless of whether anybody else around you is worshiping or not. And that be the essence of awakening in your heart. You don't have to take off 40 days to pray and fast to find revival. Perhaps you just need to stop and pray that one minute that the Lord asks you to when it's uncomfortable for you. That's the, that's the key. Are we finding the Lord in everyday rhythms? I'll wrap up what I'm, my, my little sermonette with inside a sermon here. This will be on the screen above. Ray Orland, who we had the joy of bringing to Safe Haven a couple of months ago. Ray Ortland says it this way. If we long for our churches to experiencing more of the awakening power in the gospel, the remedy is not to invent our own delivery systems for God's grace. The remedy might be found in correcting our neglect or misuse or corruption of God's age-old means of grace. We do not need to improve on God's methods We might need to engage with God's methods more reverently and humbly than we ever have. That's good stuff, church. Which is why he's an author. Right? That's good stuff. Is your spiritual joy waning? Then my question to you is this. Consider Jesus afresh and anew. Maybe like you never have before. All right. Let's wrap it up, church. Let's speed it on. And why do we intently focus on Jesus? Why is that going to help me to go back to the one that I'm considering bailing on? Troy, I'm considering bailing and you're just telling me to go back to Jesus. And that would be my source. You're not giving me seven steps to make it right. You're just saying go back to Jesus. Well, I'm glad you ask and the writer of Hebrews is glad you ask as well. Why? Because he's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. It's on the screen. He's the apostle. Don't consider anybody else. He is the hand-picked, sent one from God. He is the apostle. This is the only time Jesus is ever referred to in the entire Bible as an apostle. Ever. Because the writer of Hebrews wants to hammer it home. He's the one. Why would you consider him? He is the final expression of apostleship. He's the sent one. And he's also the high priest of our confession. Other high priests were just priests. They offered sacrifice and they offered uh, hope of purification of sin. And Jesus said, forget that. I will be the final purification of all sin. Consider Him, the one who was sacrificed. He actually made purification rather than just offering it. He is infinitely better than anyone and here it comes. So don't bail back to Moses for your joy. Don't go back to Moses. Okay, Let's look at this. Now, you're looking at the text and going, how are we ever going to make it through all of this? Here we go. Boom. Here we go. little delay. Here's how we're going to make it through all of this. All right, so let's look at it. Consider Jesus, who's greater than Moses. Let's read this together. Who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now this was a reality slap in their face. you got to feel this. Moses was the one, man. He was chosen. He was stuck in a basket. He floated. God rescued him. Uh, He went to the burning bush. He got the magic staff. 
Um, he was doing all kind of miracles. Like, this is the guy, okay? And then uh, Moses goes, who am I? Who am I, Jesus? I'm nobody. If they ask me who I am, what should I say? And Moses says, I mean, God says to Moses, you don't tell them you're anything. You tell them that the I am has sent you. All right? So Moses walks around going, oh, the I am sent me. Jesus busts on the scene. Here's why he's greater than Moses. Because they say to Jesus, who are you? You think you're better than Abraham? Who are you? And Jesus said what? He didn't say the I am sent me. He said, I am that I am. And they got it because they wanted to pick up rocks to do what? They said, kill him. He just claimed to be, kill him. He just claimed to be the I am. That's why he's greater. Moses is busting on, I'm just a servant, I'm just a servant. Jesus busts on the scene, I'm the son. I'm the one. I am that I am. That's why he's greater. And so, <laughs> I don't know if this will make any sense, and I don't mean to offend you about your grandma. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that a good qualification up front? Okay. All right. All right. Somebody's about to walk out and go, don't you dare to do my grandma's holy ground. All right. Just, just stick with me for a second, okay? You ever been on a diet? You've seen the results of the diet. You know, everything's going well, but you're kind of losing your, your drive for the diet, and then old grandma busts in with an apple pie. <laughs> and it's, it's not just an apple pie. It's grandma's apple pie, okay? The diet is infinitely better than your grandmother's apple pie and your grandma. I know, that's heresy. Stick with me. This is kind of why this is a slap in the face. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, this is hard to swallow, and I know you love Moses, but Jesus is infinitely better than anything Moses has to offer. Whoa, I don't know about that. Just like you felt when I said about your grandma, they felt the same thing when the writer goes, hey, don't consider Moses, he's nobody. Consider Jesus. All right, And so follow the writer's thoughts here. He says, The builder of a house is greater than the house that is built. God's the builder of all things. And all houses have been built by God. Moses was a faithful as a servant in, catch that, in God's house. He's just a part of the house. He's a part of the church. Jesus was faithful as the son over, catch that word, God's house, he's the co-owner. Hebrews 2.10, I think, has already told us that all things are made by Jesus for him and through him. So the point of all this is, so Jesus is God. That's his point. He's the builder of the house, and no true part of the house, no true part of the house would ever bail on him. Consider Jesus. That's the point. Just like your fireplace will not grow legs, that's how fireplaces walk, Just like your fireplace will never grow legs and just walk out of your house, if you're in Christ, you won't bail on Jesus. Don't do it. Why would you do anything else? Your window is never going to unlock itself and go, I'm out of here. Boom. You don't use me enough and you don't clean me. (laughs) That's my house. I know you make... You wouldn't bail on him. Don't bail on him. Where else would you go? He's the builder of the house. That's what he's saying. Jesus is superior in quality as the builder and owner. Therefore, He's God. And also quantity. He's more faithful and He's sinless. They were both faithful, but Moses was not what? He wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. 
Jesus is greater. That's the point. Does that, does that passage make sense now? Golly, it's so good. It's almost like grandma's pie. <laughs> Close. So perseverance is exactly where the writer concludes this section. And oddly enough, we'll also intro next week's section. He says this, And if we are His house, and we are His house, if indeed, if indeed, we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope, just consider Jesus. Notice the clarity here. We are the house if we stay faithful. Theologians, y'all go in there with me? Like is this, you start to wrestle with this passage now? Good, come back next week. <laughs> We're not going to pack it today. But I do get this question often. Troy, do you believe once saved, always saved? Now everybody's on board, right? Like, I know where we're going now. Troy, do you believe once saved, always saved? I'm going to give you two answers. Answer one. (sighs) Be here next week. (laughs) The text will absolutely unpack that in great detail. Bring your friends. And answer two will be this. It is unbiblical to close your eyes to persevering because you've been blinded by preservation. It's unbiblical. Troy, don't believe in what's saved always. Stop, stop. Don't draw your conclusions. That's not what I'm saying. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But are we to persevere to the end? Like that's one of the questions y'all should be like, yes, yes. <laughs> we got that one. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a dualism, and we will never wipe the dualism out. He's the author and perfecter, absolutely. But by gosh, you can't just walk out the door and go, so to, with it, I'll do whatever I want to do. We also have to persevere. So the question the writer leaves us with today is not, is once saved, always saved true? That's not the question. The question is, are you saved? Are you faithfully considering Jesus right now? Are you considering Him now? Okay. I know, I've taken up a lot of time. Closing. Do you ever think about Jesus other than Sundays? Do you ever consider him other than Sundays? Do you ever think about repentance? Does that ever cross your mind? Can you show fruit, gospel multiplication fruit in your life? Can, can you, like, is that there? Is there evidences of that? Do you crave being with other believers? Do you crave growing as a faith family? Is that something that's in you? Are you craving these things? If you said no to those things, there's a great chance that you've not surrendered your life to Christ as Savior and Lord. That's just true. And I wouldn't love you if I didn't tell you that. So maybe you're in this room and you go, I don't seem to have any spiritual joy. My question is, and the writer of Hebrews' question is, what do you know Christ? Have you surrendered to Christ? Or have you gone to churches because they had a big show going on? Or because your grandpa told you that you believed in Christ? Yeah, of course I believe in Christ because my family. 
We say grace and we say amen. If you ain't into that, we don't give up. Right? Do you love Jesus? That's the question. Okay. If you said no, why not today? Why not today? Why not let today be the day of salvation? If Christ is knocking on your heart, He's drawing you. If you're a believer in this room, you better be praying for every unbeliever in this room right now. If you're an unbeliever, why not today? You can call on Him and say, Lord, yeah, I'm a sinner. There is no other way. I'm trusting in your sufficiency. All of me I give to all of you. I trust that you are the perfect fulfillment of righteousness. And because of your sacrifice, you bled and you died, placed in the grave, rose again, proving that the Father accepted that purification of sin. So therefore you have the right to give your righteousness to whoever believes. If that's you, if you go, yes, Lord, I believe all those things to save me, you can do that today, right now. And I don't know if you noticed, but we brought the baptistry back. (laughs) Not because we don't believe in baptism. We just had other decorations. It's full of water right now. And maybe you go, yeah, I'm going to give my life to Christ today. And by gosh, I'm going to jump in that thing right there and show the world that I'm in. You can do that today. I didn't come prepared. Well, we don't have any extra clothes, but we got some towels. (laughs) You may drive home sloppy in your Jeep. Your Prius. I don't know. Now I'm thinking about cars. Tacos and cars. But maybe today. Why not today? And if you said yes to those things. Yeah, I do experience those things. Yes, absolutely. Hey, I want to remind you of something. If you said yes to those things, I'm oh, yes. Repentance, often, always, yes. Good grief. Sure, I wish I didn't have to repent so much. Join the club, okay? I want to remind you of something. Jesus became a son in birth. Jesus became a serpent on the cross, taking on sin. Jesus became our sacrifice in death. And Jesus became our Savior in the resurrection. Praise the Lord. So don't bail. Lean in. You consider Christ too. More than you ever have before. Find revival. Persevere through your anxiety. Persevere through your fear. Persevere through your doubt. Persevere through the distractions. Be loud and proud, church. And don't look back. Consider Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, I want to thank you for the text. And you didn't have to give us this through your inspired word. You didn't have to give us Hebrews 3. You didn't have to remind us to consider Jesus. You could have just let us follow our own passions. And and you would have been perfectly and just and right to let us follow our passions and to damn all of us. You would have been just to do that. But because of your loving kindness, you 
gave us this reminder, as with others in Scripture, to look no further than Jesus as our source of joy, as our source of satisfaction, and our only hope of finding salvation. Jesus, I pray we have made you magnificent today. I pray that nobody will walk out of here talking about songs that were sung or anything like that. I pray everybody will walk out talking about Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you be gracious to bring revival to us through us passionately considering Jesus. It's in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Church.